It was on either the 24th or the 25th of April, just after 10 in the morning, as far as anybody could recall, that the town's tolerant opinion of Desmond changed forever. The sun didn't shine. God averted his eyes from Number 1 Strand Street, and instead sent rolling clouds draped in suicide grey in from the sea to obscure something imminent not meant for public consumption. A prophetic colour choice, as it should turn out. And so Desmond Keene, waving in blissful ignorance to old Mrs. Dingle on the second floor of Howard's Corner, and tipping his cap to that nice Mrs. Moriarty just opened an upper hair salon, proceeded toward the end of his daily route. When he had handed out mail to the drab granny houses out on Bissett Strand, turned back, and again reached number one on the corner of Old Street and Gasyard Lane, he hesitated all the same. The bag was nearly empty and he only had to deliver two adverts from the local supermarket to Mrs. Hegarty inside. In the days to come, Desmond would go back and forth in his fevered mind, trying to remember how far back he should have noticed that something was wrong with how that house made him feel. It looked ordinary enough, its facade a faded cream with fake Swiss wood latticework above the doorway, but from the very beginning something just out of reach whispered a warning about the house's occupant, that he had been too polite to hear. Mrs. Hegarty, who let Desmond call her Moira only after a year of sporadic and persistent visits, had come to town from nowhere she cared to talk much about nearly three years ago. People said it was a small town way out in West Cork. She was still a handsome woman at forty-five, and her face had the lucky kind of defined bone structure that would wear well into old age. On the rare occasions when Desmond's clumsy jokes managed to coax a smile, she was beautiful. But she had also acquired a hardness to her that blossomed into open hostility whenever people tried to get too friendly. Invitations to tea from neighbours were first met with polite refusals, and when some tried bringing her cakes to drive the point home, she left them untouched on her front porch, where wild cats finally ate them. Among the many curious neighbors, only Desmond was ever invited into the house for coffee, probably because of his innocence or willful blindness to people's hidden side. Then, sometime last January, Mrs. Hegarty had abruptly stopped answering the door when he rang the bell. His subsequent attempts to reconnect with her whenever they happened on each other in the street were also rebuffed. Mrs. Hegarty, Rarely seen outside her four walls as it was, would simply trail past him without a word in that old greatcoat, a scarf wrapped around her head like a mummy. She never again asked him inside. Desmond and everyone else simply assumed she'd had a tragedy befall her, didn't pry, and gave her the space she obviously craved. And yet... Now that Desmond stood outside Mrs. Hegarty's front door with the colorful adverts in his hand... He hesitated because of that feeling he'd had these last few weeks whenever he walked past. Recently there had been sounds from inside that Desmond had written off as coming from a TV set, or maybe a radio. It sounded like whimpers, even the cries of a young voice. Once there had been a loud thumping noise, and the drapes on the second floor had been yanked open briefly before being shut once again. But since Desmond was only curious, not investigative, or even brave, he explained it away as the eccentricity of the lonely, a tribe to which he himself belonged. 
The closer he came to the mail slot, the more the little hairs on his hand stood to attention like a blonde forest. He thought he smelled something, like spoiled stew. He wasn't sure where it was coming from. Could have been seaweed rotting on the beach nearby, or someone's fridge where the power had gone out. But he knew it wasn't. Desmond finally ignored his imprecise feeling of foreboding, bent down and pushed open the slot. He jammed one of the Tesco adverts inside. He noticed a pile of unopened mail on the floor. And then he stopped. Far inside, near where he knew Mrs. Hegarty's sitting room was, he saw what was probably a hand. It was blue-black, ballooned thick like a surgical glove, and stuck out from somewhere in the adjoining room. The arm connected to it was fat and sausage-like, too.